Hi, it's always uh, great to be speaking at Cornerstone, and today is uh, July 5th, the day after uh, 4th of July, and I hope you had a great weekend. It's a really troubling times now, you know, and this uh, series on abiding Christ is uh, very, very important to keep our sense of emotion stability and spiritual stability afloat. You know, I ministered in Chicago for six years, and just uh, yesterday there was another mass shooting, you know. And this coming November is the midterms. There's going to be a lot of sort of change, you know, uh, happening in terms of uh, the governing of this great nation of ours. But today I'm not going to talk about those issues. I often speak about them in the sort of the radical honesty platform that uh, Cornerstone uh, sort of houses and uh, for me. I'm going to talk about what it means not to be a citizen of the United States, but what it means to be a citizen of God's nation or the kingdom of God and more sort of older time terminology. Okay. What does it mean to abide in Christ the way that he wants us to live? See, I've been a pastor for a long time. I was a seminary professor for over 10 years. And I found that you can prove anything you want from Scripture because there's almost a proof text for everything, okay? But what was more difficult, uh, being a professor, being a pastor, is always to have a, a picture of the landscape of the scope of Christianity, of what we are to live and how we are to interact with this world, to get the big picture and not to pick and choose what you want to, let's say, promote or what you want to focus on to live, but to understand uh, the lay of the land, okay, for believers, for what it means to abide in Christ. So in this message, I'm going to take a slightly different uh, sort of approach. Instead of uh, picking one specific passage, I'm going to talk about the top verbs that are found in the New Testament. I'm going to base it upon the, the Greek language. I'm not going to use Greek, okay? But it's based upon that sort of uh, 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 research and observation. And these 11 verbs, I'm going to take out like things like to talk or to eat or to walk because those are like, you know, too common. I'm going to talk about the top 11 verbs that deal with what um, followers of Jesus Christ were told to do exhorted to do in the New Testament. And they break down, interestingly, in four different categories, okay? 11 verbs in four different categories. And I hope this is, uh, will be uh, encouraging to you, enlightening to you, as it was for me, in order to sort of remind myself of what the priorities of being a, being a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, okay? It's beyond being a good citizen or a moral person. So let's take a look. The first set of categories is really uh, the largest category because five of the 11 verbs are in this category. And they're words directed in, in uh, terms of our interaction with God, our relationship with God. I sometimes will put the spirit or Christ uh, interchanged, but it's really how you view God and how you act toward him. Now. There used to be this, uh, uh, I guess, saying that uh, uh, Christians had, evangelicals had, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Oh, that's so old, people use it, doesn't even mean anything. But you know what? 
when you understand the focus of five of the 11 verbs in the New Testament, that sort of old used uh, slogan, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, is actually true. Let me tell you what those five major verbs are in relationship to God as a believer. The first is to believe. That is by far the most common in this category. The second is to follow. The third is to worship. The fourth is to praise. And the fifth is to pray. All these point to our relationship with Christ or with God or with the Spirit, okay? Now, when you look at these five verbs, it's very, very interesting because it shows that uh, first, at the basis of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not just you doing all sorts of things. We're going to get take a look at those verbs later on. But you have to have this thing like cemented down in your spiritual soul, okay? It's about how you view God and how you act toward him. The first two words are very interesting. Believe and follow. And though they overlap, they have a slightly different emphasis, okay? Believe is actually used much more than follow, but follow is actually found often in the New Testament. To believe, what does that mean? In the New Testament, it really means to sort of understand something, okay? Accept it more than understand, accept it, to trust in it. But it really doesn't have that emphasis of what do I need to do. It's really how do you see life? Who do you trust? Do you understand what has happened in terms of what Jesus Christ has done for you? It's more than just like, oh, miscellaneous doctrines and confirmation, you know, or catechism, you know? It has to do with life trust. Do you understand what Jesus has done? And this is foundational to what it means to abide in Christ. It's not just you doing more stuff for Jesus, you know? It's you knowing what Jesus has done for you. Bestowing his love, manifesting his love through his death on the cross for us, resurrected uh, so that we have hope, the bestowal of the spirit so that we have life and we have empowerment. But what's really interesting in terms of this, the, this category, it's, it's, it's belief. And then there's this like tie with follow. And follow has a slightly different sort of uh, connotation to it. It's more active. It's more geographical. Follow Jesus, you know. It has more to do, more to responsibility, has more to do with allegiance in action. And it's really important to understand the relationship of these two words. For the most our relationship with Christ is grounded upon a belief in what he has done for us. But it's also tied that, you know, but it also has this sort of uh, a tie with following him, what he, has, what he has asked us to do. And when you understand this, you begin to realize what it means to abide in Christ, to accept, to trust, to realize, to accept the fact that he was our replacement for our punishment. But then it also is tied to following, to follow Jesus. It's almost two sides to the same sort of coin, which is Jesus in the middle, okay? 
The second group of words in this first category of, of uh, abiding in Christ is in the relationship with God is this tandem of worship and praise. Now, this is now moving into sort of like corporate sense, you know? Oftentimes we think of worship, we think of an event, okay? And you know what? Corporate worship at a place with other believers is so important. You can't say, you know, I don't want to do this, you know? It's really important, okay? It's part of these top 11 verbs. But worship is more than just attending an event. Worship has uh, this idea of prostrating oneself, and we don't do that. You know, Christians don't prostrate ourselves even in church. Maybe we should do it more, you know? But it has to do with worship, public worship, corporate worship, with the understanding that we bow before God, not as some requirement, you know, because we're all supposed to do it when the, when the host says to bow, you know, but because we realize something about God, that he is greater than myself. And we need to sort of admit that. Do you, do you admit that? Do you realize that? Or do you think that God is greater than, than you are greater than God and he owes you? Now, that's not abiding in Christ. But what's really interesting is that this word worship, and sometimes it's translated prostrate to bow, <clears throat> is then paired up in this sermon with praise. Sometimes it's translated, the Greek term is to glorify. And that has a different sort of connotation in terms of worship, our relationship with God. For worship is more of a realization, bow down of the greatness of God. But when you're talking about praise, you're talking about the goodness of God, both in his character from the Old Testament, but also in real life. You praise God for who he is. You praise God for what he is doing in your life now. So when the New Testament uses this word praise, and sometimes it uses translated glorify, it's not talking about a setting or an event to attend. It's talking about real life faith today, understanding the deliverance of God and the love of God in real time, in real life. Because it's not a, mat a matter of, of like, you know, oh, I worship God, but you know what? In, in, in real life, I have no sort of evidence that he cares for me. No. No, that's not what the emphasis is in the New Testament. Actually, the opposite is true. We come to a setting to worship publicly, but we also praise God because we see him at work. Wow, that's a whole different sort of a spin or understanding of what worship is. The final word in this first category is pray. Prayer is integral, critical to our existence. And for me, the prayer aspect involves a, a prayer, like from the, the Sermon on the Mount, it involves uh, allegiance, it involves, it involves uh, uh, reliance, it involves uh, self-assessment. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a time in which we... Uh, sort of like, you know, realize that we have a spiritual moral dimension and we are limited as human beings and we need to uh, ask God for his intervention in life and, and forgiveness all the time, you know, even though Christ has forgiven us on the cross, you know? You know how important that is. 
because prayer is one of the key stepping stones to seeing how God can work in your life so that you can give him praise and glorify him. Perhaps you don't see God at work, nothing to praise him for. Maybe because we're too self-reliant upon ourselves and we don't ask God to intervene. It is my conviction that if you do so and you always rely upon God and you ask God for sort of help in life and to unleash his potential in your life through the spirit that you will see answered prayer and you will give praise to him. Now the second category of words, <clears throat> we finished the top five of the 11 <clears throat> in terms of interaction with God, refers to what it means to interact with other followers of Christ. People at church, other believers you know, uh, in the family, at Cornerstone. And the two major words are encouragement, to encourage. Sometimes it's translated to comfort. And the second term, it means it's to welcome or to greet. Both are important in terms of how we are to relate to other believers. It has to do with uh, you not being alone with God or being alone with yourself. It's you being with other believers, how you interact with other believers. And there's a clear sort of emphasis that what it means to uh, live out your life with other believers is one, to greet, and the second, to encourage or to, to comfort. Now, there's a real problem in churches today. If you, I, I remember at a time I went to Menlo Church, you know, uh, in between uh, ministries after I left my pastorate in San Francisco. And it was great, it was a great speaker, okay? John Ortberg was the speaker. But you know what, there was a problem? There are thousands of people. You go out, no one even know who you are, you know? And they had these like uh, assigned greeters, you know? Now, assigned greeters are great, but that's not what the New Testament had in mind. Assigned greeters, you know, that's your job, you know? And if it wasn't assigned your job, then no one would greet you, you know? It has to do with a sort of organic sort of love amongst believers that we would greet people and we would encourage them. Now, large churches have this difficulty. You go in, no one knows who you are, you just walk out, you know? That's really not the essence of what it means to be in an abiding church. But then a small church has the same problem. Sometimes a small church can be like, you know, like little, little, like little buzz groups, you know, like little, and a and, and, and newcomer comes in, they don't have time for you because the, the church is about meeting friends, you know? keeping relationships that you've uh, enjoyed over the years. So you're, you're a newcomer and no one gives you the time of day. You know, that's cold, that's a small church. I'd rather be feeling alone in a large church than feeling alone in a small church, but this has got the same sort of problems. The church, the body of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ envisioned for his followers would be people who were warm and welcoming to all who came into their presence. But more than that, uh, the other term, and actually it was used more than just uh, that second word that I used, or the one I started, which is to welcome or to greet, is to encourage or comfort. Believers are told to uplift, to bear each other's burdens, to go deeper than just to hug you or to shake your hands or to say, you know, oh, how about those warriors, you know? 
No, it's, it, it's about real life because everyone needs encouragement in this life. Okay? Everybody. Because life has its own burdens. And if you abide in Christ and a church that abides in Christ can begin to understand that we, all of us, have the ability to encourage people, not just the pastor when he preaches, but all the times when we interact within a, a Sunday group setting or when we meet us in smaller venues. This is why small groups are so important in the life of the church. Sometimes the church is just like, as a pastor, I got to be honest. I pastor a church in, in the, the west side of, of uh, San Francisco, Sunset Church. They had over a thousand people. You know, I forget people's names, you know. It's a lot of chit-chat because just like every, I didn't have the time. It's too many people. This is why the small group is really important. It's limited, it's manageable, and you could get deeper in people's lives. Pray for them, encourage them. Small groups are more than just like interest groups. Oh, we all like bowling, so let's have a bowling group in the church. You know, that's fun, okay? I'm not saying you can't have that. But that's not what the New Testament is talking about. It's talking about deeper sort of interaction, caring for people, and allowing others to care for you. I just met Pastor John again, and he's uh, overseeing the small groups. You don't know how important this is, you know? I challenge you to be involved in a small group uh, because that's where the giftedness and the vitality of Christ and what it means to abide in Christ is uh, beginning to be experienced. There's two more categories. The second is interaction or verbs of interaction toward the entire world, okay? And uh, the two words are very interesting. One is to proclaim, and sometimes it's translated to preach. And the other word, it has to do with uh, the evangel, the good news, to announce the good news. They both have a slightly different sort of nuance, but they overlap, okay? To proclaim, to preach has to do with truth, boldness, to declare, but that announce the good news has more to do with the content of what Jesus has done for us. And this is the message of the church. You see, <clears throat> what it means to abide in Christ. First category is how you relate to God. Belief, faith, worship, uh, praise, uh, prayer. Okay, you can work on that. The second is the, how you act amongst other believers. To be warm to encourage. This third one, oftentimes uh, churches and individuals, we don't focus on this. You say, oh, well, this is the offensive part. You know, he can't say this. You know, you never talk about religion, you know. But you know what? <clears throat> it's not, let me say this. The relationship with God sits at number one. Verbs of love and care really is the second major category. But you cannot say, well, I'm just not going to tell you what my faith is about. It's part of the top 11 verbs to proclaim, to declare. And it's not teaching morality. It's teaching and proclaiming about what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the good news, okay? The ability to live, to say, 
to share our faith with other people makes the top 11 verbs in the New Testament. You can't, you can't say, well, I don't want to do it. You know, we might, have to, we, we might have to learn how to do it, but it's part of what it means to abide in the teaching of Jesus. Now, the final two verbs are very interesting. The final two verbs are to love and to forgive. And you say, well, why didn't you put it in an earlier category? It's because this category is very interesting. They are emphasized in the New Testament. Love and forgiveness is the basis of our faith of what this good news is about what we announce. But it's very interesting because in this category, we sort of live out our faith to everybody, whether they are followers of Jesus or not. But we do it because we understand what has been done to ourselves. It's a very deep, it's a reflective reaction, okay? Not because, oh, you got to love and forgive because, you know, if you don't do that, you know, I'm not going to accept you. You know, it's interactive. We do this because we have been accepted. We love because we have been loved. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And this is really important because you have to really understand in the depth of our soul what Christ has done for us in order to truly, in the spirit of Jesus, live out these actions toward other people. I'm going to read you two verses. First is Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It's in the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's interactive, okay? Can't get away from that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's a type of love and forgiveness beyond what, uh, like, you know, I, I got to say, you know, everyone loves and forgives in some degree. But this type of love and forgiveness goes beyond that. Because in human standards, the human relationships, we love because people love us. You know, we respond in like kind. But what Jesus is talking about is talking about loving and forgiving people even when they don't deserve it. And that should be a characteristic of what it means to abide in Christ. I know it's difficult at times. But you know what? We are gracious people because we have received unlimited grace by our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to show it. You see, abiding in Christ isn't like, oh, you know, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat. Oh, I, I, I'm for this sort of legislation, you know. I mean, what, what, what people are doing is they're making Christianity tying to some politics, you know. You're going to have some preferences in politics. But I'm going to tell you that abiding in Christ goes way beyond that into these core 11 values. Now, where are you today in terms of, uh, in terms of Jesus? 
okay? Perhaps you, you know, this is your first sermon, okay? What do you take home from this? This is what you take home. You realize you don't buy how Christians are being painted by media. You don't buy like past experience of what Christians have done to you because, you know, I guarantee they're Christians who hurt you, okay? You want to get into what authentic Christianity is and what it means to truly abide in Christ because these are the top 11 verbs, you know? I'm not making it up, you know? I'm not sort of, you know, uh, getting on some soapbox trying to promote, you know, my take on things. Maybe you are not, uh, not your first sermon, but you go to church because, you know, raised in this tradition. You go to events, you know, you get baptized, you know, you get married at church, you know, uh, Christmas, Easter, you go to church, you know, every so often you listen to a message. What do you do if you're in that category? Understand that's a good beginning. You have an advantage because you don't have the sort of like a hesitation toward the faith, you know, because you were raised in it. But realize that our faith is much deeper than events moments in our spiritual journey. But it's a life of understanding in terms of who God is and relating to him, understanding warmth, understanding the good news and understanding what we have received so that we can receive other people. For others, perhaps, as Paul said, there's a thorn in your flesh, you know, someone that you just can't love could be a relative, could be a friend that backstabbed you. Natural per person, you don't want to love that person. But through Christ, you may be able to show grace because you have received that grace. So wherever you are, I hope that this sermon has helped you. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I give thanks to this time to speak to my friends at Cornerstone. May you help us understand the depth of what it means to abide in you and to help us wherever we are, Lord, to understand the fullness that is found in you and the fullness that is found in abiding in you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.
You know, it's my earnest desire, my prayer for all of us, that we would keep the words of the Lord close to us, that we would build on the things that He taught us and then implement them and do them. Because if we do that, we're going to be like a, a house that's built on a rock. We're going to be able to withstand things, the storms of life, the inevitable things that will hit us in life. If we live long enough, we're going to have great great times of challenge and, and some suffering and hurt and wounds and we got to make sure that that doesn't define us. We don't just pull the plug and quit. The Lord wants to teach us how to overcome things, how to grow, how to walk in His love. So my prayer for you is that His love would be the dominant theme of your life and that He would keep you in every way. I, I don't think I can say this enough, that He would keep you in your spirit and in your soul and in your mind and in your body that the Lord's reality would flow out of your life and affect everything that you do, your work, your relationships, right? They would all, they would all connect to Jesus because when the Lord is near and we keep him close, everything falls into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right in his eyes and all these other things shall be added unto you. That's what Jesus taught us. So stay close to his kingdom by staying close to the king. Yeah, keep Jesus near. That's my prayer. Prayer for you and me. Go in his love. Go in his peace.